Hello and welcome to a special edition of Third Degree Burn. If you are listening to this, the day it drops, then it's September 13th, 24 years after the moon was blasted out of its orbit. We are, of course, talking about Space 1999. And we are going to be covering three issues of the four issues that John Byrne uh, produced or did when he was with Charlton back in the early 70s. And I have got two special, well, not, not special, they're our regulars. I've got Kirk Greenfield. Hi. Good morning. Who you've been listening, probably even listening to us lately with Kirk and I have been covering Namor. And I've got John Hyatt, who has not been on the show in a while, but it's always a pleasure to have John back. Hey there. Hey. Great to be here. Great yeah. to chat with you guys, especially yeah. about this. This is cool. Yeah, this is a uh, this is early early burn. Um, kind of at the the cusp of when he was moving into Marvel. So he was he did start out. I think it was Charlton. Uh, he did some. Uh, we've already covered. He did wheeling the chopper bunch. He did, I think he did some emergency based on the TV show. And Charlton was known for that. They did a lot of movie tie-ins. Mm-hmm. Um, but have either of you read any of these issues before we started decided to talk about them? No, not at all. Were you aware of them? No. I was aware of them, but uh, I, you know, the spinner racks that I frequented as a kid didn't very often get charlton books or if they did i didn't notice them but i would have noticed space 1999 because i was a fan of that show well that was my my follow-up question what are uh what is your uh experience with the show itself well for me i i was very excited about it and i used to watch it and i'm pretty sure my dad used to let me watch it because i can remember seeing it so it must not have been on at a time that conflicted with something he wanted to watch, <laughs> which was usually 60 minutes or Sports some ball. other, yeah, some other types of things. So I did get to see the show, uh, and uh, I uh, especially uh, was excited about it because it had um, Walter Matthau and um, in it. Well, not Walter Matthau. Oh no! Did I say Walter? Yeah. yeah. Oh no! Oh, I missed that episode. Uh yeah. No, I had them from um, Mission Impossible, which I Mark loved. Landau. So, um, yeah. Landau. Martin Landau. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, it was very cool. Uh, and I, of course, I love Mission Impossible. So to see uh, these two actors also on Space 1999, it was really good. And then. Um, yeah, I used to, uh, of course, I was a space age kid, so I enjoyed watching it every um, every week that it came out. And uh, yeah, so that was my experience with it. And I didn't even know there were comic books out. I just, uh, or maybe if I did, they were just like very elusive and hard to find. And I was never a- uh, able to find them as follow-ups and stuff. So, um, but I did buy a big stack of books from somebody on eBay one time we just had a bunch of miscellaneous stuff. I had no idea what was in it. And sure enough, I have four issues of space 1999. So that's pretty excited. That's great. There are, I actually have one. I have issue three. I thought I had the others, but they are a little hard to come by. It only ran seven issues. So it wasn't a long, a long run. Kirk, how about you? Do you, uh, 
you watch what you weren't in the seventies, you weren't, you were in college, right? So you early seventies, I would have been in college. I have a memory of stumbling across the show uh, late at night. I don't know where it was probably late night filler on a, on an independent station um, and catching like the last 15 minutes, last half hour or something like that and going, wow, what is this thing? Why wasn't I aware of this? I've never heard of this before. Didn't really make a lot of sense, but I was struck with the sets that everything was white and gleaming and polished like uh, 2001 in Space Odyssey. And there was this very abrupt end to the show where whatever the last scene was, and it immediately cuts to this loud end theme music. And I thought, whoa, <laughs> I've never seen that done before. Um, and that's about all the experience that I ever had with the TV show. I was never able to find it or find any episodes uh, except for one coda. I was at a convention where they were selling or debuting, I don't recall which. They were playing at least a 10-minute coda to the series that they hired an actress. This is my understanding. There's a, a character who's a doctor. Mm -hmm. I don't know her name. But she, they hired the actress. They recreated the set of her uh, sick bay or whatever it was. And they wrote her a script for her to do um, a, sort of a selfie. I can't think of the right word for it. Soliloquy, but she is making a video note saying, uh, hi, we're still on our, our trip. It's been, I don't know how long, 10 years, 20 years that we've been on this odyssey. And we have discovered we're coming close to a planet that's habitable. We have to vote. We have to decide whether we're stopping, whether we're going to jump off or whether we're going to continue on with the moon. And uh, it has to be unanimous or something like that. And we've decided to stop. So we're bailing out. This will be the last recording, the last message. I couldn't leave without at least letting those who find this uh, wreckage of our, our civilization traveling through space uh, know what happened to us. And that's that's all it is. Um, it's interesting. I that I recall, but apparently fans were thrilled by it. Uh, because it put an end cap on the on the series, so yeah, I, that's all I know about it. That that was um that's actually not just a hired actress. That's Zenia Merton, and she played Sandra Bennis, one of the characters on Space 1999. Oh, so it wasn't, wasn't Barbara Bain? I thought maybe it was. No, not um, at all. Okay, it wasn't the leads, right? But it was a supporting character, somebody that would be recognizable. Like you know, if we saw Chekhov or Walter Koenig or something, you know, we immediately know who that was. Right. You know, he may not have been the lead. So. Well, my, everybody was a buzz about it. It was just, I was the, I didn't, since I hadn't seen the original series, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. But uh, I appreciated the fact that somebody had gone to great effort and great expense to, to bring closure to the series, which I understand has no closure. No, it just, it's just like most series. It just, it just ends. And I, my experience is I, growing up, I knew of it. I don't ever remember seeing it because it wasn't a network. It was imported. So it was, a, it was a, probably like a early a syndicated thing. It was on some probably UHF channel or something at odd times. So I would run across it. You know, like you said, Kirk, um, I was aware of it. I had some cousins that had, there was a big eagle playset. <clears throat> I don't remember who made it. 
but it was large. It was probably two feet, you know, because it had like six inch figures that went with it. And then, of course, Dinky made uh, toys, little die cast metal toys, which are highly collectible now of the Eagle that are beautiful. If you've ever seen any of the Dinky toys, because this is a Sylvia and Garrett, Jerry or Garrett, I think it's Jerry Anderson production who did Thunderbirds. They did UFO. They did yeah. Supercar. They did Fireball XL7. All the marionette or the marionette stuff. So in a nutshell, Space 1999 was supposed to be was kind of resurrected from the second season of UFO, which got canceled in the 60s. So they re 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 it to become Space 1999. And that's why a lot of the stuff looks similar, although there's no characters that poured over. Um, and it was a very expensive show at the time. I think that's what got it got it cut early because it was from uh, ITV and some American production that were kind of co-producing it. Um, and season one and two had very different looks and feels. Uh, these books are all are basically, I think, come from season one. But uh, and the the premise is the moon is they are storing they have a moon base and they are storing Earth is storing all its nuclear waste on the moon. Something happens it the the dumps erupt and the explosion pushes the moon out of orbit. So they are just flung out into space. And then it kind of becomes lost in space. <clears throat> the moon is just drifting along and they encounter other planets, other aliens, other phenomena and things like that. So that's what it is. So it's a it's a it's a high concept. It it does uh the the tech design is pretty good. The eagles are well designed. Um they look like they drew from, you know, at the time uh, this, you know, NASA's work, it looks very much like something that we might have produced. The costumes are a little more 70-ish, uh, but uh, the effects are great because the, to your point, Kirk, it looks like 2001 that the art director or the production designer actually worked on Thunderbirds and 2001 was the one that designed the this show. So that's what it looks like. All right, well. We're able to get to major Hollywood actors, uh, Martin Landau and his wife, Barbara Bain, to stop mm -hmm. thing. I always wondered what happened to them, and I was impressed to hear that they were part of this show, although they were the only names that I knew of. I just couldn't believe that the show didn't get better press or wasn't more widely publicized. I felt like somebody had dropped the ball on that. Well, but I think they... You know, I was in college. I was busy. I wasn't paying yeah. attention to television or got my ear to the ground for a lot of things. I think they brought in Landau because they wanted to try to appeal to American audiences. And I, apparently his terms were, I'll do it only if my wife will be on as well. That's how she came in. So, you know, they she were husbands. Yeah. No slight against her. She's, she's uh, credible. Yeah. She's, yeah, no. yeah. She can be a little wooden sometimes. I found her a little bit that on, Mission Impossible, which I like you, John. I love Mission Impossible. And they were um, they were the married couple. You know, they were on season one through three. And then uh, I don't know how long after this, they they I think they separated. Um, 
Oh. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. They didn't stay married later in life because you know. I never heard that. And okay. I don't know what if she did anything else. He kind of, he kind of, uh, revitalized his career later in life and became more of a, a movie star. You know, he was in. He's an X X Files movie. He was in um, Tucker. He was he won an Academy Award for um, Ed Wood playing Bela Lugosi. So he kind of revitalized his career. I don't know. I don't know about her. I don't know what happened to her. But um, well, if uh, it's, we're here to actually talk about comics, let's um, let's uh, let's jump into. We're covering issue four, five, and six. Issue three. We've already covered on the show, and I will put a link to that episode if somebody wants to listen to us cover all four issues that Byrne did. Uh, all right. Issue four, Space 1999 by Charlton. These were published uh, bi-monthly. Uh, cover date is May 1976 with a sale date of February 17th, 1976. Uh, 22 pages, and it costs 30 cents. Our writer is Nicola Cutie, if I'm pronouncing that right, or Cutie. Uh, our artist is John Byrne, and he penciled, inked, and did the lettering, and he did the cover. And the covers of these look painted, and they are really beautiful covers. Um, very dynamic, very colorful, uh, very detailed. Our editor, our colorist for the book is Wendy Fiore, or Fiore. And our editor overall is George Wildman. Uh, for this issue four, the other book that Byrne worked on was he was doing Doomsday Plus One, and he was on issue number six of that. He was a penciler on that one. And our first uh, story is called Demon Star. Near a binary star, Moonbase Alpha approaches a binary star system. Still looking for a place to settle, the crew decides not to attempt to investigate any of the planets until a young scientist named Mal Burns who looks suspiciously like John Byrne, finds an Earth-like planet orbiting the Red Giant. Suddenly, the base is attacked by aggressive alien ships. Commander Koenig orders a fleet of Hawks to attack, Hawk attack ships to intercept. Battle does not go well for the humans. The aliens kidnap crew members, including Dr. Helena Russell, by beaming them off, off the, the base. Koenig and Allen pursue an eagles. The frog-like aliens contact the eagle and... Contact the Eagles and who they're and show their prisoners who their prisoners are. The offense cannot attack or risk killing their own people. The aliens return to their base, but promise to return to Moon Base and destroy it. The ships follow the aliens back to their planet. Koenig orders the Eagles and Hawks to land on the planet outside the alien city and deploy two man track attackers, tank like vehicles. Two heavily armed vehicles approach the city, and Koenig demands the release of the prisoners. The aliens come out of their temple with open arms, music, and flowers. It's a welcoming committee, not a war party. Koenig and Victor Bergman, the space scientist, are puzzled as they are led into the city. It could be a trap. They are greeted by Asis, the leader of the city, Emera. Helena and the others are released, and the ruler wines and dines the Alphans. But Koenig is still suspicious. Where are the hostile aliens? The leader invites them to search the city for clues they are not warlike. Search team from the moon base arrive in Eagles and inspect the city. No weapons, no troops. 
The leader invites the offense to settle in the lands outside their city to exchange art and technology between the two races. Two days later, volunteers from the moon base arrive on the planet to call it home, but Koenig still has his doubts. Examining an old temple that Koenig saw when he was being given a tour around the, 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 the grounds around the city, Helena realizes that the movement of the binary star has a Jekyll and Hyde effect on the locals. Before Koenig can warn the others, the aliens are once again aggressive. They attack the commander and Helena in air cars. Their ship is shut down and they are attacked on the ground. John saves them when he shoots the leader with a stun blast that brings him back to his peaceful self. The stun blast seems to have cured him. Helena and the others offer to help the rest of the people before they continue on their search for a new planet. The end. Interesting so, premise. It is. It is. Uh, I will say it's very Star Trek like. Um, yeah. Uh, I thought that, uh, the yeah I thought the wrap up at the end was a little too quick. Remember the episode of Star Trek? I can't think of the name of the episode, but it has Landrew and the Red Hour, and when it starts, when everybody's in the Western town is going crazy for an hour, and then all of a sudden it stops. Yep. And they revert <clears throat> back to a very peaceful existence. It reminded me of that concept a great deal. Return of the Archons is the episode you're thinking about. Okay. <laughs> yes. Thank you. It, yeah, it is. It's the the you know, there's a mystery. What's going on? You know, I could see this really fitting in with next gen, that type of and and Picard trying to rationalize why they seem to. Uh, two different personalities um yeah i thought well, it was an interesting story i mean it kind of wrapped up too quick but it yeah. was a quick wrap up but yeah but that seems to be the case of all of these issues yeah i think what happens is they kind of get into the storytelling it seems and then all of a sudden they're like oh my gosh we've reached our page count we gotta we gotta end this now yep this might have worked if it was a two-parter uh because you could have the cliffhanger of them discovering the temple and then you could have had more some more action than the ex other episode uh and it and it uh the the premise that uh koenig shoots shoots the leader when he's at their they're on the ground and the guy jumps out of a tree and he's attacking him and koenig is punching him and he shoots him with the stun gun and Helena's thought that it must be maybe a glandular condition. It's the reason why when the the apparently when the red giant is in the was is fully visible, they're peaceful. But when the the red the I think they call the blue dwarf, the smaller sun is visible, then they change and they become vicious. And somehow uh the blast from the stun fixed it. I don't know. They um uh, she says, the blast from the laser must have neutralized or even burned out the gland that affected by the blue star. He may well be hacious for the rest of his life. No, he may be peaceful. And so they offered to, to help the others. And I'm wondering if they're just going to blast them. Are they going to have a medical <laughs> procedure? Or are they just going to stun them all? Um, or, or they could have some fun, you know. They can just like use them for quote-unquote <laughs> target practice. You know? Yeah. Run them around and <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I thought it was nice. 
Kermit the Frog got such a starring role in this uh, episode. Yeah, um, they are a little um, nice job of of making the the king or the whoever the the leader so friendly and so cute and cuddly. <laughs> Who would ever think that he had an ejectable high personality? Except they saw him on camera earlier, and I didn't quite catch that it was the same creature. Well, he he does look a little. A little different, but the big thing is they're wearing like some kind of armor or something that um, and they they speculate that they have no they don't even know this is happening to them. And the temple, which I thought was interesting, and Helena comes in and she seems to know all about it. She needs it's the temple has got uh, statues of like what looks like uh, saints and demons. And she thinks that's odd that she thinks it portrays the, the struggle of good versus evil that, Mm -hmm. and then she knows something about one of these gods. That's got a, it's got a big red. He calls him the, uh, the Algol, the winking demon. I don't know how, how she knows that, but that she speculates, she seems to have a lot of insight as to what's going on. Um, she's been on the planet a little longer, I guess. And maybe they've, translated the uh it's been a couple days because the the leader says we don't we just live in our city we don't encroach on the like the wilderness around it we leave it at, you know we uh we uh we let that you know we we don't kind of touch nature and he said but you guys can settle and you guys can wreck, wreck nature we don't care you can settle outside the city and because you need a place to stay and then it's kind of like, okay, and he's asked for volunteers, and I guess people are willing to, because the, the, the planet is kind of a paradise. It's very luscious. It's very nice. It's um, it's like an Eden. Um, so why do they leave? Well, I think well, that's, a, that's, a, that's a real good question, because if they cure them, why do they need to leave? I don't know. Well, they have to, because otherwise you don't have a TV show. But right. <laughs> that's, okay. that's a very good point, that why are they, if they're uh, – you know, apparently Moonbase does not have a uh, prime directive because they have no problem helping these people. Um, and well, and at the rate they keep losing eagles, they need to um, <laughs> I was gonna... find a place one of these days. They lost, what, two two of them in this, uh, two or one at least here. At least one. Plus, plus a big section of their... Moonbase. Uh, their base. I mean, it's not like the moon is... Re- has so much uh, natural resources that they could keep rebuilding this stuff. So, <laughs> well, that was I was going to bring that up because this, this the TV show has same similar problems with Voyager. Voyager had seemed to have an unlimited supply of shuttles, and the Moon Base seems to have an unlimited supply of uh, eagles because um, mm-hmm. they lose some of these. I think these hawks too, which are kind of the attack version of the, uh, the eagles. Um, they have a replicator in the uh, uh, the uh, meeting maybe. room six, or they're yeah. mining the the moon for uh, raw materials. I guess I don't know. I guess they could supply some of their own stuff. What did you guys think of the uh, artwork? I was just going to ask. <laughs> um, well, as you said, it's it's very early in his career, and I don't know. Um, I was looking at what he was also doing that month. And he also had been, he's already over at Marvel doing Iron Fist. Right. And it seems like his Iron Fist work is a little more refined than this. So I'm not quite sure if this 
these were drawn up earlier and then just printed at the same time? Or do you think, or, I, you know, if he was just doing a whole different style, um, there's a couple of pages that I think are just really great, like the one where they walked into the the celebrating room, just that full page uh, with, with the all the weapons text or there. whatever that is. Yeah. 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 That was really cool. Um, I liked a lot of the uh, the five panel pages or the like on story page. What is it? Seven and eight where you have the diagonal ones and then just the horizontal ones. But they were just really good at telling that piece of the story. He does play with uh, panel angles in this, um, and I agree. The the I was looking at the same too. I was looking at his Iron Fist stuff, which does look a little more polished. And I don't know if he was devoting more time because I'm working for the one of the big two with Marvel, and Charlton is you know a lesser tier book, or so maybe he didn't have enough time to devote to it. Uh, he does. His likenesses are very different than later on when he would draw, because he's actually drawn actors. He's drawn um, yeah. Landau and Bain and Barry Morris. And sometimes it looks very spot on, almost like he's referencing a photo. Like that first page where you see uh, the first panel down, you see Landau and um, Bain are kind of talking. They're kind of opposites of each other that looks like he's referencing a photo of them. And the one with yeah, Barry that... at the bottom in this view screen looks yeah. like a photo. When he's not, it's a little hit or miss. Sometimes it doesn't look uh, like Landau. It looks, um, and even the, uh, on page, I guess three, Alan, that's um, Alan Carter, I think. He was like the head uh, Eagle pilot in the first season. That doesn't really look like the actor. Um, yeah, I don't think, I think it's just the main three are the ones that he, or that they were focused on the likenesses right. of. Right. But he does, I, I mean. I was impressed when he drew them. You recognize them. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know who it is. Good. You know who they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even to the point, but compared to this, uh, this character that, that Byrne created, this Mal, Burn, B-U-R-N. He's this blonde-haired, bearded um, assistant to uh, uh, Barry Morris. He's like, a, he's like, he's later, he's called an exobiologist. And he looks suspiciously like Burn. And, you know, <laughs> they said that he tended to do that early. He would put in blonde, bearded characters. You know, the fact that he's called Mal Burn tells me that he's kind of, he's self-inserting himself into this. Um but I do like the way he's got the because the show relied heavily on actual TV. You when they were they had actual monitors, they were actual like CRTs that they were playing an image through. It wasn't a special effect that looked like it was a view screen. Uh, and he's done a good job of capturing what that looked like, the black mm -hmm. and white kind of look. Of, and you see it a lot when people are on screen um, talking to it, and they have the little comm device wearing their belt that has a little view screen on it, kind of their communicator. Uh, I think that's well done. And all the tech is well done. The Eagles, the Hawks, those are all well, well, 
drawn, well-designed. Um, then the rest of it is very heavily burn tech. These little attack tank things. The John, you're pointing out the the big splash page where they come in and they see just it's the it's the the greeting hall, the party hall, whatever, and they just all these, I guess, weapons of mass destruction behind them. It's like missiles <laughs> and tanks or something. That's very burn tech. It's all very uh, kind of organic looking and curvy. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the rest of it is, is uh, you see a lot of burnisms throughout the whole thing. The use of the, you said the use of the angled panels, the, uh, uh, the panel where the, the, leader is taking Koenig on a kind of a view of the city and around the, uh, the countryside. He's got, he's got like five very vertical panels that run the whole length of the page um, to kind of show that. And then he's got a great splash page when they are being attacked um, where Helen is firing at the, the, the other attacking ships. And I thought it was a nice touch that, Notice he has got a hold of her belt because she's got both hands on her laser and he's holding her onto her. So she guess she won't fall out of the ship. Yeah. That's a nice touch there. Isn't yeah. It? That was, yeah. That was something I don't think a lot of people might think to. No, you wouldn't think about there. that. Was, yeah, yeah, it was, that was good. How about that center spread two page spread? what do you think of that guys? Is that the, with the angles, they're kind of, <clears throat> he's first. Yeah. The big, the big, the big two two page in the middle of the book is uh, pages uh, thirteen and fourteen. Yeah, it's all yeah. angled all the way across both pages. Yeah, it's nice. It's um, it's the actually the eagles are are drawn. The city looks like typical burn city. Um, I immediately flashed forward to the time period Leitner in his career when he was doing the tenth circle. And it seemed like he was doing diagonal pages constantly through the books. And I found it very jarring. Or X-Men, The Hidden Years. Um, it, it's a nice touch. And he uses it once in this book. And I think it works very sparingly. But I couldn't help but immediately remember his later work when he used it way too much, in my humble opinion. Well, it's similar to remember he was on the FF and he would occasionally would play around with he had his sideways issue yeah. or stuff like that. Or he would he would take he experiment with doing something different that wasn't expected. Um, but yeah, I thought it was I mean, the, the fight scene at the end is quick as it is. And he does do another angled panel at the end of Kirk where he's got where Koenig is beating up the leader and. uh and that's a that looks very much like a Colossus pose where Koenig is punching the leader. And it looks a lot like Colossus. I, I can see that in my mind. Colossus is punching somebody like that. Um, but yeah, I thought it was I, I thought the what do you think of the aliens? These Kermit frog like bug eyed aliens. I think it worked well to convey that they were peaceful and friendly. I mean, that, that really came through very, very well. Um, but again, at first glance, when I wasn't reading it critically, carefully, um, I did not catch that it was the same physical creature as the person on the view screen who was 
uh, telling them that they had prisoners and they were going to come back and destroy the alphabet. You know, I didn't catch that. It was the same character. Same, same ones. Yeah. They're a little too cartoony for me. Just in comparison to how uh, realistic he's trying to draw the actors, characters, and the rest, they are a little... And Burn has done this before. They are a little too... Just a little too cartoony for me. Um, your point, Kirk, maybe if he, had, if he had made them look very... If his Jekyll and Hyde make them look very different than their counterparts, other than just them wearing some kind of a battle armor. Well, there's also, I think there's a, a flaw in the story if you really want to get nitpicky. Um, so this entire race goes through a Jekyll Hyde change whenever the, uh, the, the binary stars get switched or flicked or what have you. So you're telling me that the warrior side of them uh, that is the one that creates and tamed nature and created the, the city, and then they wake up the next day and it's like, oh, why are we wearing this armor? And they don't have any knowledge or, or history of it. I mean, something. Yeah. You know, how that, is it? I realize it's a comic. You have to suspend your. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, would that really work uh, for the point of a one one shot story? OK, I'll buy it. It's fun. Hooray. Next is you. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, right. Doesn't stand examination. Do they when they're in their big banquet hall and. Like they are now, do they look up and go, hey, what are those weapons up there? What are those? Why are those there? You know, why? <laughs> because he seems, the leader, when he's kind of zapped and he's kind of come to and become peaceful, he doesn't know why he's wearing the clothes. He said, these are warrior clothes. Why am I wearing these? I'm a man of peace. And then he doesn't recognize the other people that are with them that have not been cured. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a little you know it wraps up quick wraps up quick it, I can uh, see this as a, as a, an episode on the show you know and that think that's um, when you're doing like TV tie-ins it works best if it feels like when we did um, uh, the six million dollar man I think we covered that Kirk with Gene you know if it feels like it's an actual episode of the show then I think it's successful. Right. Um, One other that has probably been beaten into the ground, but should at least be mentioned, Charlton, being a third-tier company, never having the respect of the big two, actually used printing presses that were used to print cereal boxes. This is well-known and documented. It sounds like it's a swipe, a swipe at them, but it's not. Their printing presses were not as high tech as the big two, the ones that were utilized by the big two, and they would run them and run them and run them. And as a result, virtually their entire line is all washed out and faded. And it had, Charlton has just a different feel to the assembled comic books. Mm -hmm. the, the quality of the cover, the uh, saturation of the colors on the, most of the covers, I'll say most of them, because I'm not familiar with the entire line. But there was no question when you picked up a Charlton book, whether it was 12 cents or 15 cents or, or however much it was, you knew you had a different quality comic book in your hand. And, and I think that heavily, uh, heavily influences a kid's perception of the book and 
I, I, I'm struggling here. And the, uh, and the worth or the relative merit of it. Because Charlton, you know, when, when you say Charlton, um, it, it just automatically your mind goes to a particular mindset. Yeah. Uh, you know, Blue Beetle, uh, the Phantom Stranger, I can't name all their their characters, but that, that um, should at least mention in passing. Right, and, and we I think we have mentioned it before, and it does, I'm reading a scan of the actual book, and it is a little washed out, and the blacks are uh, a little muddy, and in some cases, it's hard to read the dialogue in some of the text, because it is, uh, I don't know if it's just, this is a scan from an old book, or to your point, it's just on the, the, the cheaper presses, but I will say Byrne does makes a good use of Zipatone. There's a lot of good uses of Zipatone in here. The first scene when we see the alien on the view screen, that's kind of a close-up of his face. That's got some nice Zipatone behind it. Um, and the cover, we already talked about the cover. The cover is very dynamic. It's the the big uh, the big uh, meeting room or or bridge or whatever you want to call it. Their big view screen. And is Koenig reacting to Barry Morris? And we see an eagle exploding uh, on the screen. Uh, and I don't know if these are painted or how he created. I know he did the artwork for him. And I couldn't find any information if they are painted or if they are um, watercolor or if they are some kind of a, a marker. But they're very vibrant and very colorful. And he really captures the likenesses of people. Um, on this, on this, on the panels. So the covers are, are top notch. Yeah, they are. <clears throat> the, uh, uh, the, as Kirk said, I mean, the feel of them are quite different from what we got from Marvel and DC, even now looking at them. And if you got a, a similar comic with yellowed pages and whatnot, uh, there's something different about how it feels, but um, yeah, the covers are just really good. And I think, I mean, it's kind of too bad that Charlton uh, didn't do a little bit better. Uh, and I'm not sure what that was because maybe it was a distribution thing because they just didn't have as many books on the stands that people could. Because, you know, Gold Key as well, when they had their Star Trek comic books out mm -hmm. and whatnot. I mean, it's just there were so many uh, stories and maybe they were just spreading themselves out too thin. I mean, Charlton had Space 1999, Bionic Woman's, you know, Six Million Dollar Man, and all of those other tie-ins uh, that only lasted five or six issues. <laughs> and yep. They were gone forever. So uh, who knows? Uh, but yeah, the cover is really, really good. Really. Well, really they're good. a little bit like uh, not Dark Horse, um, uh, Dynamite. Uh -huh. They do a lot of tie-ins. They do a lot of uh, 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 licensed stuff. And they had a little bit of their, you know, so they had a few of their um, their own characters, which is interesting that probably most people know them from a lot of the characters that have been brought into DC, because DC bought them. Like you said, Blue Beetle, um, the, the Question, uh Oh, there's a couple others that were imported, and now they're DC characters, but they started at Charleston. Um, cool. All right. We ready to go on to our second um, yeah, issue absolutely. number 
five. Let me turn that one down. Okay. This is issue number five. Now, this one, I'm not going to bury the lead, but this one I did not enjoy quite as much as the, uh, <laughs> the second one we had. This uh, Space 99, issue five, uh, is titled Gods of the Planet Olympus. Uh, again, it's Charlton. Cover date of July 1976. Sale date of April 22nd, 1976. Uh, still 30 cents. A writer is still uh, Nicola Cuddy. Artist is John Byrne. Still doing pencils, inks, lettering. Did the cover art. A colorist is still Wendy Fiora. And our editor is still uh, George Wildman. And our story goes like this. Well, the Alphans... Go on. Oh. Um, when it said... So... Do you think John Byrne was inking himself on these? He said he was inking. That's what I could find. Uh, when you go to Mike's Amazing World, it just lists artist. But on Byrne Robotics, it lists him as the penciler, the anchor, and the letterer. So okay. he was doing everything short of just coloring it. Yeah. So that's yeah. a lot of work. And, yeah, and maybe, you know, maybe him inking himself is why it doesn't look the same as, like, his work over at Marvel. Because I think that's a good point, John. I think... When he does at this point, when he's doing himself, it's not as successful as somebody else doing, which is odd. You think that it would look more like Burn if he's doing himself, but it may be that it's a little. Um, the blacks are very heavy in all these issues, so that may be the printing process, or it may just be him layering on um, mm. a lot of blacks. And I'll, I will say this: anybody that you know will, you know, a common criticism of Burn is that he doesn't do a lot of backgrounds these issues are very dense he is filling in the backgrounds a lot so yeah um there's no it's not him just doing figures yeah there's a these are there's a lot of artwork in these all right all right uh the alphans discover an earth-like moon and send eagle five to investigate flying over a vast ocean the ship is attacked by a giant trident with contact lost in the last message saying they were attacked by the god neptune Honig sends in a search party. Helena is asked to join the team because of her knowledge of Greek myths. Locating the crashed eagle, they land and investigate the crash. Before they can determine what damage the craft, they are attacked with flying boulders. Boulders thrown by a giant cyclops. The three manage to stun the monster, but he falls onto the eagle, destroying it. Helena suggests they hide until Moobase can send help, but they are scooped up in a giant net. Hours later, they wake up in cages... In another Cyclops lair, they discover the crew of Eagle Five and others. The giant picks up Helena and starts a conversation. His speech is simple, childlike. He is lonely and wants someone to talk to. Helena asks for her, asks for her things back. The giant hands her back the laser pistol. She stuns him in his eye and frees the others. One of his fellow captors is a, na- is a man named Demethus, and he is a Helenite. The same name Helena says used by ancient Greeks. Koenig asks if Al- ask Alan if they can salvage two eagles enough to fly to Helena, their city. Several hours later, they are on their way, flying over lands with centaurs and satyrs. The group lands in a city with classical Greek architecture. Demethus is, wel- is welcomed by his people and offers to take the commander to Apollo's temple to offer thanks. Koenig is stunned to learn that God's temples are ancient interstellar spacecrafts. Koenig speculates Demetrius and his people came from another planet over 5,000 years ago, but some of them must have left and settled on Earth 
in the Greek Isles and told tales of gods in Olympus. Commander turns on the view screen and sees the city is under attack by the gods. With Demica's help, he gets the starship powered up and takes off. The ship speeds to the city and attacks the gods. Conan continues his attack, stunning the giants. They, they counterattack with archers and tree-trunk-sized tree arrows pierce the ship. Damage and losing power, the ship is attacked by Zeus. The god grabs the ship as it speeds by. He climbs on board, drawing his sword. The commander dives the ship through a group of trees, hoping to brush him off, but they crash to the ground. Zeus reaches for the two men, but reacts like a child, wanting to play more. Demichthus explains they are like children, having never grown up. The Alphans are treated to a farewell feast and head back to Moonbase Alpha, despite Zeus asking Helen to stay and be his goddess. The end. Well, what did you think of this issue? Who mourns for Adonis? Basically. Uh, yep. I, uh, again, a goofy concept, but as a done in one, you know, I've just skimmed the artwork as you were doing the summary, and it's like, uh, you know, I see some burnisms in here, uh, some some uh, things that we recognize. I don't quite understand what you disliked him. I thought, well, I thought it was a little, it was a little goofy, and the what I don't understand is when it seems like what he's saying is the the. Uh, the, the fellow that, and I'm probably butchering the name, Dem, Demo, Demethus, D-E-M-O-T-H-U-S, Demethus, Demethus. He, when Good. he's captured by the Cyclops, and he's the same size as Conan, and they go to their city, which is which is based on a, uh, an ancient Greek city. So Koenig speculates that they landed in these spaceships 5,000 years ago, and uh, that I guess that the Greek architecture and look and style that we know now was their was their culture, but they somehow in their struggle of survival lost the knowledge of technology and the spaceships because they think they're temples. They don't know they're spaceships. Okay, well, then where did the gods come from? Were the gods already on this planet? And when at the end, when Zeus looks like he's attacking the ship, and it turns out he just wants to play more. He's more Trelane than anything else. He is, you know, I'll fix your ship. Let's play more. It was great fun. Well, Demicus seems to think that, okay, yeah, they're just children because they've lived a thousand years and they never grow up. They're like the Lost Boys, I guess. But it seems earlier that he says the gods attack them and they're dangerous. But now he's saying, no, they're just big kids and they don't mean you any harm. Well, they were certainly trying to kill him when they were firing all these big arrows into the ship. So I didn't, I, that I confused me. I did not understand where the gods came from. If he thinks they're children, that's fine. But then earlier he seems to feel like they were dangerous. So that was, that's what kind of drew me out of it. I didn't understand what was going on. Okay. I've noticed something else uh, as uh, as we, right here in the middle of the story, I've just kind of paused in my scan. 
where we meet the leader of the Hellenites. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to catch the name. And I've actually read the balloons here where uh, Helen, is her name Helen? Anyways, Barbara Bain says, John, the ancient Greeks are called Helens. This can't just be coincidence. And he responds, perhaps we have some common roots, Helena, but that doesn't solve our immediate problem. You could substitute Reed and Sue Richards yep. in that conversation. <laughs> yep. Well, also the the artwork is a little, it's a little less, he's not trying to capture like photo, uh, his Koenig and Helena look like he's doing uh, a version of um, Martin Landau. It doesn't look as a kind of photo reference as the previous issue. So he is doing, they look like him. You can tell who it is, but he's not relying on uh, uh, quite the same type of references as it is. So it's got a little more of a, um, everything looks a little more consistent instead of looking like something's very photo referenced and something is more car- comic book like. So I thought Helena looks like a typical, to your point, Kirk, she looks like Sue Richards. I mean, you could easily make that Sue Richards. Um, Alan looks a little bit like Johnny Storm. Uh, I I thought it just needed a little more filling out because I didn't understand the that the 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 the, the Hellenites seemed be, to fear and they when they pass over the, the centaurs and the satyrs okay did did they come with them or were they already on the planet I mean was the planet uh, had the gods and the satyrs and the the centaurs then they landed and just either adopted their their culture to fit what was already there, which was very Greek-like already, or did they bring that with them? And that's why the the ones that Koenig speculates left the planet and flew to Earth um, and then started the Greek civilization there. And then that's what they told. <clears throat> that's where our stories of the gods came from, because they came from this planet. So... Yeah, it seems like the story um, was moving at a pace and it definitely could stop at a certain point, fill out a little bit more, and then continue on. Uh, because where we were leading all the way up to the last page did not seem like it was going to lead to those last three panels. No, that seems like, um, how do we end this? Yeah. Um, but you know, it was a. I, I enjoyed the story up until it. It's interesting that Helena is has all of these interests that she yeah. can like in the last <laughs> issue. Oh, she's interested in this. Let's take her. She's interested in Greek mythology. Let's take her. It's like <laughs> that's a lot of stuff to be interested in yep. that you're so uh, uh, expert on. But uh, yeah, it's um, the artwork is great though. I like uh, the artwork is. Um... That work is good. It's uh, very dynamic. He's going. He's kind of got more of the angled panels. He uh, that the starship looks a little familiar. Saucer section, two nacelles. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And they lose two more. They lose two more eagles in this one, John. Yeah, definitely. Two. It's three down. 
<laughs> so yeah, just in two issues, that's three down. Yep. Well, that explains why the series came to an end. <laughs> <laughs> they ran out of they ran out of ships. We'll have to see if by the sixth issue they go quick. Let's jump in the geek. Oh, there aren't any more. <laughs> we don't have any left. The, uh, the on page one though the first the, the third panel with uh, Neptune spearing the ship that's a great uh, panel right there for me I is, really think that's, that's so cool. that's cool yeah I didn't think I, about that for the cover image right because the cover image is must be just some sort of a stock thing it just yeah. has nothing to do with the story at all and unless they were just trying to capture the interest of kids saying oh it's space 1999 but I think that's uh, it. Yeah, it's one of the, it's one of the, uh, it's actually the, to me, it's one of the least dynamic or the, the worst of all of the covers that I've seen that of the issues that we have of his, because, just because of that, it's like, ugh, that's yeah, just a boring it's panel. Pretty, it's uh, pretty static. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, yeah. It's it's well done. It's nicely painted and it, it's a good um, view of uh, Koenig and I don't know who the other co-pilot is, but but yeah, I agree. the 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 attack with Neptune and that it would almost be better if that was a splash page. If they yeah. had the two of the, them flying over the ocean and then reacting to it, and then the splash page is him coming up out of the water, skewering the uh, the uh, the eagle, the, the eagle with a trident, right? Which yeah, would, that that should definitely be a one panel page, just poof, right there. Yeah. It was it's so good, and they. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, perhaps uh, a use for that panel to promote uh, something. Hate him. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, well, that'd be great. I might. I've uh, I've already done the artwork for this, and I may have already grabbed that image. Um, but, uh, they, they go into a lot of uh, detail, <clears throat> and this this what felt a little bit like Burns writing because Burns likes to explain stuff. And mm -hmm. there's a whole panel and a lot of dialogue of them examining the eagle. And he thinks, well, was it hit by meteors? Like, no, no, no. It's, um, and um, uh, Barry Morris, the, the scientist, goes into, um, um, just last name, Ber um, Berger. Anyway, the, he goes into a lot of exclamation of, no, 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 the, the puncture wounds are different. It could be this. But he goes, but it meets exactly like the uh, prongs of a trident, you know, and, he, and and Neptune carried a trident. So it's that typical of Koenig's like, well, no, can't be. You're crazy. can't be the gods. He's like, well, everything fits. <laughs> and then they start getting the rocks thrown at him. And she says she thinks she sees um, uh, And that panel with, um, with the Cyclops throwing the rock down on the eagle and Helena goes into uh, she tells him that oh he has no depth perception so he's not going to be able to hit us um, yeah he does he has only got one eye uh, but that looks very lost in space like you know because they had a cyclops on lost in space that they would encounter from time to time uh, and that's what that kind of looks like where he's trying to hurl the, the bottle down on top of him and then of course he it's kind of played for comic relief but he falls on the eagle crushing it um, Kirk will be right back. Um, yeah, and they're scooped up, but yeah, I, I for for what for whatever the story lacks that I didn't like, 
it makes up for it because the artwork the artwork is is pretty gorgeous it's uh it's well drawn it's uh he's he's doing the he's doing the the gods or at least the cyclops a little kind of cartoonish um and certainly with zeus at the end when he's looking at him he's a big close-up of him looking at him with these big kind of disney kind of eyes that he's explaining that um uh, he tells him to fix the sky horse and, and gives Zeus another ride. Um, which doesn't explain, yeah. you know, it's like how they, they were able to, if these are childlike beings, have they created anything? Have they done, you know, what, what I want to know more. It just, it just not, doesn't explain enough. I want to know more about what's going on. And it's Definitely. wrapped up. It just wrapped up in a second. The point where he yeah. even asked Helen to stay behind him and is um <laughs> be his uh, goddess. Be his um, goddess, yeah. yeah. And he's like, nah, and, and then uh it almost has that kind of Star Trek kind of light humor ending. Um uh, where he says hearing that, that music, music at the yep. end of these episodes, these pages. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it is. Um and to to your point, I don't know how I'd like to know what the um is this is is burn being giving the whole script and then he doesn't know how to end it or is a writer didn't know how to end it because it does seem like they're just running out of time and they've got to wrap it up in like a page and it just mm -hmm. ends um which is too bad because i think like well, the last story and this one definitely could have uh, benefited from uh, longer storytelling because I mean the pace is really good and I think John Byrne does a great job at pacing and telling the story mm -hmm. absolutely up to up to they say oh we've got to end this now because um, I, I like the I like the the composition of the panels and uh, the amount of story that he puts in it sometimes it gets a little crowded like when they're in the cages with the Cyclops um, He's got a full panel of the Cyclops sitting there and then these little inset panels. And in this particular style of printing, it's very cluttered. And he's got a lot of words and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's on page, what, seven. And it's just, it's too much on that page. And if it could spread it out, it would be great. Uh, unfortunately, they couldn't do that, especially as a bi-monthly book and very sporadically printed out you know they had to do everything in one issue but it's too bad because i think the story could have expanded a bit and then a little bit to your point tim not quite make them as goofy at the end the, yeah. the gods you know um uh then i could just i mean it could, it could have the same conclusion where they can figure out a way to uh work together but still um yeah just uh, leading up to it you just feel like and this is going so good. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then it's like, what? <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, a lot of fun. Well, it's, it, uh, yeah, and it's nothing new. The whole, you know, uh, an ancient race is responsible for somehow our ancient past. Um, but it just doesn't, like, if, if they'd left the, the, the Hellenites out of it, maybe, and just had the gods, them dealing with that, maybe that would have worked better. But you've Maybe. got yeah, you've got these two different um, styles. But 
other than that, the the he he's doing a lot of these vertical panels, page um, four, 13, 14, where you see the starships. Uh, he's yeah. got a lot of he's doing a you know, and that kind of moves it along pretty good. He's he's able to cram a lot in there, uh, especially with dialogue. I did think yeah. that this uh, this leader when he starts um, powering up the the spaceship, this guy seems to. Uh, for being basically an ancient Greek, he seems to adapt to technology pretty quick. He seems to be able to run his console uh, yeah. pretty well. Tony <laughs> telling him what to do. Um, um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, uh, yeah, it's good. It's good storytelling. I think. Um, I think. You know, he uh, he being Burn has really hit the ground well early in his career with being able to lay out a good story artistically absolutely you can you can see where the the grounds of what of the of the artist and storyteller he would become is here yeah he knows how yes. to lay it out he knows how to move it along um you know some of the you know and he he's he's not you know i don't know how much input he had with the storytelling if he had any at all mm -hmm. i know the the next issue we're going to cover he is a writer and artist so he's He's doing everything in that story, and it's quite different from this one. Um, so, who's been writing these? If he hasn't, uh, Nicola it's K U T I. So it's either Cuddy or Cutie. I don't know how that's pronounced. Um, okay. They that person wrote uh, all seven issues, well, except issue six, which is Burns' last issue, and maybe that's why he was he it was his story. So he wrote it, he drew it, he inked it, he lettered it did the cover so that one is pretty much his whole thing you can tell it's a little um more burn like with it uh and we'll move on to that if, unless we have any final thoughts or comments on uh mount olympus here well not about the story but i just want to kind of talk about some of the um other items that are in the book like the ads so we get our typical ads, but I wanted to point out, because uh, I just noticed this in my copy, is the subscription page for Charlton. So um, they were printing at the time of this, you had a choice of 39 titles to choose from to subscribe, all for a whopping $1.80 for a subscription. Uh, I don't see how many that includes, so that must be, well, six, uh, if they're 30 cents each. Uh, but I love this. It says, subscribe, mail flat in a protective envelope and delivered by an agent of the U.S. government for color <laughs> handy. <laughs> that's you, John. That's you. I know. But that's so funny to have it titled that way. It was, it was uh, it kind of stuck out to me. But um, It's like they're going to deliver it in a... Uh... In a secret military uh, Yeah, they're going to drive to your house and a squad of guys are going to get out and <laughs> exactly. give it to you. Yeah. But yeah, it was interesting. And then, of course, these stories also have a printed page and a half story. Did you, either of you read that by chance or not? I did not. It's no. the very last. It's, um, what is it? Mine doesn't, my scan doesn't have it. Uh, I know it's there was a, like a. Oh, uh, yeah. There's. There's just a printed text, it's page and a half short story, uh, and uh, um, I started. I read one. I read the one in the last issue, and I kind of skimmed over this one. 
And you know, they're probably submitted. It doesn't say who wrote them, so maybe Nicola did. Yeah. Uh, and but um, yeah, they're just little vignettes, I guess, in Moonbase Alpha's history. Oh, another thing I thought about this story was maybe these Olympians uh, had a breakaway day of their own, and they were just floating through space and depositing people along the way, and Earth was just happened to be one. That Maybe. their moon floated by, and they just had some people decide to stay there. <laughs> so. Possible, Very or, or possible. like the the revised Battlestar Galactica. You know, the the people just kind of went there and decided, ah, let's destroy our technology. It's bad for us, so right. start over. Right. All right, All Kirk. Right. Uh, if we have no comments, let's move on to our last and final uh, issue. Should be issue yeah, six. Uh, do you have any last comments, Kirk? I don't want to jump over. No, no, okay. Go on. Uh, Space 1999, Issue 6. Again, Charlton. This is a cover date of September 1976 with a sale date of June 17, 1976. Still 30 cents. And our writer and artist oh. is John Byrne. So he wrote, he lettered, he drew, he inked. Uh, he did the cover art, which is another pretty gorgeous um, um Painted cover with Koenig kind of floating in space, grasping for his. He's outside of damage Deagle, and he's like he's he's trying. He's at doesn't have his space helmet, so he's trying to grab his space helmet that's floating, um, which not doing any good because the face plate's cracked on it. But um, our colorist is still Wendy Fiore, and our editor is still George Wildman. Uh, other comics he did more uh, during this month. He did something called Charlton Bullseye. Which I think is like a kind of like a a news news magazine number five. He did a story called "The Man from Elsewhere." He was a writer artist on that. He pencil on Iron Fist number seven, and he did the cover for Jungle Action number twenty three from Marvel, which is a cover of uh, Black Panther. All right, prologue. A million years ago, a starship hurtles through space. Its occupant is. Harnath, Kemtor, and he is the last of the Quali race due to his own hands. His ship identifies an approaching ship. <clears throat> he is pursued by a ship from the First Federation. They demand his surrender. He knows, <clears throat> excuse me, he knows the Federation ship must take its captives alive, so he's not worried about them firing on him. He heads to the hold of his ship and prepares to fire a weapon of immense power held in place by a stasis field. But before he can launch the weapon, the Federation ship fires six missiles and his starship explodes in a fear of fusing hydrogen. The stasis field is hurled across the galaxy. 1999, present day. Part 1, Floatsum. Commander Koenig is investigating another dead planet with Mal Burns, an ex-biologist. They hope to find life and a planet to settle on, but no such luck. They continue scans and send information back to Moonbase as a strange pod streaks towards them. One more orbit through the dead zone created by the, the Red Dwarf Star, and Eagle can return home. And while in this dead zone, they lose contact with the Moonbase. Kodak notices a strange object is on an intercept course. Small, about the size of a hand grenade, but with a mass of a half a ton. It's the ultimate weapon from one, one million years ago. Now it's found a target. The Har Harnath race were small, about six inches high. 
but the weapon is large enough to take out an eagle. Koenig is hurled across the bulkhead, and the craft decompresses, and he is blown into space. Part 2, Survival. Koenig drifts through space, waiting to die. He has about 15 seconds of life left. As he starts to black out, he recalls his trip to the moon, the fateful day that the nuclear waste dump exploded and hurled the moon from its orbit and into the void. Nine seconds, he spots a helmet floating nearby. Eight seconds, he tries to reach for it. Seven seconds, he twists and tries to angle himself. Six seconds, he reaches for his oxygen controls. Five seconds, he releases air from his backpack. Four seconds, he starts to move towards the helmet. Three seconds, he strains to reach the helmet. Two seconds, he grabs it. His limbs are growing numb. One second, he locks the helmet in place. Zero seconds, he connects the hose and he breathes deep. He inspects the damage to the eagle. Releasing air from his suit again, he manages to uh, board the ship. Two fuel tanks are ruptured and leaking propellant. He tries to contact moon base with no success. They are still within a dead zone. The scanners pick up the back half of the eagle. He jettisons the command module and heads through the debris field for the engine section. Using a rocket pack, he crosses space to the engine. He is surprised to find Malburns to survive the explosion. He explains his plan to connect the command module to the engine and make a, a makeshift raft so they can get back to Moonbase. And due to the interference, Moonbase Alpha does not even know the two are in trouble. They have to make it back alone. The damage looks too severe to link the two components, but uh, Koenig has an alternate plan. They arrange the engines to fire at 90 degrees to each other. They fire up the engines, and the result is a brilliant spinning stream of plasma reaching several thousand feet. The makeshift flare is spotted by Alpha. An hour and 27 minutes later, and one rescue eagle later, the two men are back home. Victor explains the weapon they encountered was in a stasis field, and one is at least a million years old. <clears throat> Victor regrets its loss, but Koenig feels that one was quite enough. The end. Alright, so what you think of, um, this one is more, like I said, is more burn-centric, doing with the, uh, the ancient alien race, the design of the alien race, the, the he's a more of a high concept, um, he goes into more scientific uh, explanation for everything. Uh, what do you guys it. think? I liked it too. It's a, it's like almost like a bottle show. It's, just takes place all in space with the two guys trying to survive. Um, what do you yeah. think, John? I liked it a lot. I thought the pacing of the story was good. It was interesting. I mean, the setup, at first I was like, what the heck is going on here? I know. And the first few pages were just really, really interesting. And now, as we look back, we see very much in his writing style. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a, a really good story. And I kind of like these. Um, like, it's almost like a character piece, kind of. Right. It was just a little solo adventure. And 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 it didn't feel like it had the, the last minute wrap up as much. <laughs> no, no, it, it's, it, it still has that kind of lighthearted little yeah. wrap up at the end. I, I left out my synopsis, but the um, this Mal Byrne that's we were introduced in issue uh, four is in here. He gives more screen time or book time, and yeah. he but, seems to be more uh, 
kind of a joker. He's he's kind of cracking jokes the whole time. So uh, he does at the end. He kind of um, talks about it. You know, he he made a joke earlier that they were afraid the the investigating all these planets was a little routine, and they were getting bored. And Koenig kind of says, "Well, you know, did that break the monotony?" He goes, "Well, you know, yeah, but we survived it, didn't we?" So he mm-hmm. kind of throws his helmet at him, but. Um, again, there's more because this opens up um, after the prologue. They are they have been investigating all these dead planets, and they seem to know that it is uh, this race they call the 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 Walk or the First Federation Worlds. Um, so they seem to know something about this race that they had destroyed their own planets. So that they're coming across all these dead moons or planets. Um, cause they're still, you know, they're constantly looking for a place to stay. Um, so I thought that was interesting. How do they know? They seem to know more about, um, what's going on as if they had been in space and encountered these races before, but, um, but no, I thought it was, a. it was, a. it was, it felt, uh, the, the opening is a little like doomsday machine like you know where this this weapon of this whatever this weapon was um was uh was lost and it was it, it because it was in a stasis field it was not destroyed when his ship blew up so it just gets hurled into space looking for somebody else to uh you know encounter it's when it encounters uh Koenig's ship and it destroys the the eagle but it, it's it's interesting because this this story kind of takes it more into the comic book style of storytelling rather than the previous issues where you felt like, oh, this could just be a, a storyboard for a TV episode. Right. You know, this has the backstory that we never really got from any of the TV episodes. So, we, you know, we can see the the back history that kind of led up to where we are when the, the episode starts. And that was really interesting. Yeah. Burn does to your point. He, he could have easily left this prologue out and just made some mention that, Oh, they encountered this, this thing that's been floating around for, for millions of years, but he goes to a lot of trouble to uh, name this race, gives the guy a name. He has a, a very distinct look. He's kind of in a, power suit kind of thing he talks about how his 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 all his uh, limbs are three jointed uh, the the guy in the first federation ship which i don't he's given a name he looks a lot like um who's the guardian of the crystal from x-men yes i cannot remember his name jam yeah he looks a lot like that. So Bernard's just kind of reusing that face to uh, uh, for when he goes over to Marvel. Um, and even the, the 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 creature itself looks like a I don't know what he looks like. He's got a kind of a to, to me he kind of looks like the the aliens from Mars attacks. <laughs> he does. Yeah. It's almost like a skull with no skin or he's in a dome. He's kind of in a uh, and you don't know anything about, you know, and then he does the whole, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the, to me, it felt a little bit like hitchhikers. There's a scene in hitchhikers where, uh, 
an alien race decides to attack Earth, but due to a miscalculation scale, they were like tiny, tiny, tiny. So they were swaddled by a dog when they came, when they came in. So, you know, Burns says, oh, this these people are only six inches high. So their big weapon was like, you know, which was a massive thing to him was like what size of a hand grenade. And it's really just the MacGuffin to get the whole thing started. So where you're, um, so he has to fight for survival. So I could, I could see this would have been a, uh, if they had done this as a show, Koenig would have been like, oh, well I, or Landau, like this is his kind of, to your point, John, it's more of a character study because he has to survive on his own, um, get his helmet back and then make it over. And then the two have to work together. So it is like a bottle show. Um, yeah. at, least, at least half of it, he's alone. So you can only hear his thoughts in a mm-hmm. comic book. Unless they were to do a voiceover, uh, you know, echoing his thoughts. I don't know. I agree with you, though. It's Yeah, before we leave the prologue, I just... It just really seems like uh, he was unleashed on the art. It's very clear and crisp. Um, it just seems very, I don't know what it is. I mean, because when you turn the page and then you see the Moonbase office, it's it's a very dynamic difference between the two. It almost looks like two different artists to me. Well, I think you're... I mean, just look at page four and then turn it over to page six and yeah. you're like, wow. Okay. What a difference to me. Well, I think you've also, did you guys notice that? Ocean. The, uh, the, the movement on the earlier pages from left to right. And then when you get to page six, the, the, uh, what is this? The Eagle is swooping in from the upper right to the lower left. It reverses direction. And it, so it's it, visually, it's a complete break. Well, I think you, your point is, is John, that, that it, the prologue is pure burn drawing comic books. He's not trying to, he's not trying to base this on a TV show at all. This is just him drawing what he wants to. So he's unleashed. And then we have to go back to confines of, well, I don't know if he was instructed to, well, draw this kind of like the TV show. So he's more restricted in what he's doing. Uh, but even then he plays with, uh, mm-hmm with the, the countdown that he does where he goes from nine to zero, where he's trying to get his helmet, you know, that is yeah. great. That was my favorite part. Pretty much my favorite part of the book. Cause I was just, I found that so interesting and so dynamic and everything that he put into each of those vertical uh, panels. Yeah. You could, you could take away the, the dialogue and you would know exactly what's going on. You don't need it. Yeah. Um, and there is, you know, there's no dialogue. It's just him, him, the text boxes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you get some great splash pages when the ego blows up. That's a great, um, with it being basically being blasted in half, uh, with Koenig floating in space, kind of upside down, kind of mirrors the, uh, the cover. Another um, eagle down. Another, another eagle. Yeah. Another, another eagle is <laughs> gone. So it's four in three issues. But that is. <laughs> that is a glory. That is a great page. It's all, you know, almost glorious. Just mm-hmm. the the white that use that's used for the to represent the explosion uh, behind it. The uh, the design that you can see it's so clear of uh, the eagle components. 
uh, again, almost like that burn techy stuff, but that's that's not burn tech. That's space knight. That's Jerry Anderson tech. Yep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, very good stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, he does. I think through all these issues, he when he's drawing the eagles, he's doing a great job. They really look on model, and they don't look. Um, you know, think of when uh, 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 Carmen Fantino was doing Star Wars. And everything looked a little off when he was drawing ships. It wasn't quite what you saw in the film. But this is, you know, exactly what what the show was showing. Um, but he has altered his, uh, as in a previous one, he's altered his drawing of uh, Martin Landau and the rest of them. That they are, especially uh, Barry Morris as um, the scientist, Victor, he doesn't look he resembles him but he doesn't really look like him he's you know you know um, who the character's supposed to be but yeah i think he's yeah. really moved away from the photo reference exactly aspect. and that that is maybe due for speed he's mentioned before he doesn't like to do uh likenesses of actual people because you know he's he has to but um helena i think we said it looks just like sea storm um the other guy looks like a burn just a burn guy. I mean, I think he's supposed to be him. This mm -hmm. Mal Burns. Um, yeah, we saw this guy in the X Men. Yep, yep. <laughs> but he looks a little like the the Neanderthal guy from Doomsday Plus One. That you know, blonde you bearded, yeah. Um, I got a then, question. <clears throat> Page six. We're talking. Uh, they're in different ends of the eagle, and they're talking about we're going through the dead zone. Uh, we'll see you in, you know, 59 minutes, 57 minutes or something like that. Bottom left-hand corner of that page, there's a close-up of a white hand. And the caption says, uh, as Hal Byrne programs the Eagle's computers, his hand, awkward in the heavy space, touches a small contact. So is this implying that Hal Byrne accidentally cuts off his intercom or that there's some skullduggery here and that there's... Another character. I'm not sure I get. I think that's on. him accidentally cutting off his his calm, so that when Koenig tries to uh, tell him, "Hey, he's picking up this uh, other object or whatever," he doesn't hear him. So he's trying to prepare him. Hey, you know, we don't know what this thing is. It could be dangerous. Then that's when it erupts. So I think that's just the to have them not be in communication with each other because he's in the back. Like collating all this information from the scans of the planet, and then they're going to uh, send that back to Moonbase Alpha. So he, to your point, he's in like I guess the the I don't know where he would be because the the way that the eagles work is they seem to be um, it's almost a structure that has the the middle part is like a, a a pod that can be interchanged. They can detach. And it's like the living quarters or, or labs or storage or whatever it is. And there's the front command module, then the back engines. So I don't know if he's backed by the engines so that when that gets hit in the middle and it breaks in two, he's saved. Well, it occurs to me the name Mal Burn. Mal is Latin for evil or bad. Oh. Um, and it can't be by accident that uh, Byrne has chosen that name. 
you know, it, it may not pay off to anything, but it occurred to me as soon as you, uh, as soon as I saw the name initially, it's like, uh-oh, uh, there's some foreshadowing potentially. You say that there are seven episodes or seven issues? In There's only the seven issues, yeah. We have only six in the scan that I'm finding on uh, freereadcomics.net. This is the last one, obviously, from Byrne. Correct. Um, but I have no indication that there's a, a seventh one beyond this at all. There is. Um, I think I had the scan of it. Um Okay. Yeah, and on Mike's it shows it, and it's a cover showing the characters from season two. And it's interesting though, in Mike's there's no artist, writer, or anything listed for it. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. Well, he doesn't so, have a lot. Yeah, he doesn't have as much on the Charlton stuff as he does. Um, yeah, DC or Marvel. But yes, there is a there is a coda on the end of this story called the Presence, a short text piece. Oh no, it's not so short. Wait a minute, it goes two pages. So there's there is something else on my scan. I don't know if that's what you were referring to earlier. I got to the end and end of the story, and I just stopped scanning, scrolling at that point, thinking that oh, this is an ad coming up, but it's not. It's actually some sort of a short story, very short story. Yeah, I think yeah. I had that one in my um, in my scan. I don't have. Uh, my uh, simple comics is screwing up on me. They have. Oh, um... well, only six. That's it. Also, it indicates that this is volume two of Space 1999. I found that a little odd. Were they produced? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if that's. Um... Yeah, and the, and the artist on the seventh issue is. Pat Boyet, Boyet, and it's got a different writer. It's now Mike Palowski is the scripter. Um, and the artwork is very different. It's very pedestrian. It's, um, but it's the, I, it looks like it's the first, it's the first, uh, in season two where they pick up, is it Maya, the shape-changing woman? I think it's the mm -hmm. issue where they pick her up and she joins the, the moon base that must have been maybe that's after it was uh maybe it's after it was uh it was canceled i don't know i know joe stanton did the first two issues he did the artwork i think for the first two issues of it until burn yeah. kind of took over it's interesting i've been looking at the indicia on the beginning of uh of the first two issues the first issue is volume one number one and the second issue is volume two number two I think um, I think what they used to do is they uh, they would change the volume when it changed year. Oh, oh interesting. That could have been because, like, I do a newsletter, and the person that kind of helped design the that he changes the volume every year. So um, I think that might have been it. Okay. There are some, uh, uh, and I think I've got a, a hardback of it. They did create some further comics later um, from a couple years ago that were Space 1999. It's um, some more polished art, um, but I don't know who 
put it out. It's not obviously it's not Charleston. It's uh, it's Arcadia. Put it out. Yeah. But I haven't looked at so, those. Yeah, um, I was I was trying to figure out. Uh, you guys were talking about where was Mal on the eagle, and I'm looking at the eagle as it was designed on page five. And then I'm trying to think, okay, so he must be back in the center compartment. But then when you see where the explosion hit, that looks like it took out that entire area where someone yeah. must have been staying. So I'm like, yeah, where was he that he has this little contained room uh, that didn't get destroyed? Uh, that's kind of a strange um, design there for me. Did you guys... Yeah. Guys have I, any ideas? I, I wasn't sure either. It almost looks like when that center kind of box-like cargo part attaches to an eagle, it must connect with doors so you can go in. You go in that way, and that way you go to the command module. You can go maybe to the back. Because yeah. it looks like he does explain that he was saved by because he doesn't have a helmet on either, and he was saved by uh, some kind of a plastic self-sealing. Airlock, almost like a on Star Trek, you know, a force field would drop down. Mm-hmm. So he's saved that way, and then he gets, uh, and he hands him a helmet. So that's what he decided to go about doing the, uh, which I thought this was a little Galileo Seven, where they can't connect the engines, so they just turn one engine ninety degrees, so that when they fire them, it spins and makes a big pinwheel of light, and then the like in Galileo Seven when Spock releases the fuel and ignites it and creates a flare. Then Alpha sees this thing and they don't know what it is, but they go and investigate. And that's when they pick up the two guys. Um, but yeah, I thought this was probably the, probably the best of the three we've done. I think, I think it's so. it's the best. And I think it's probably due to, to his, it's very claustrophobic. It's, um, um, it's a good kind of way to be a character. It would have been a great, episode of the show and you kind of could have done it pretty cheaply um but yeah i thought it was um it was pretty good you know it's a it's a, it's a way good way for him to go out and maybe because he was leaving they decided to let him write it um and i honestly didn't yeah. know he was writing this early in his career he you know he was wanting to i guess um great opportunity yeah. his ability if it acts as a sample since it's in publication that he could send to Marvel or other people would be able to see. And, you know, he's strutting his stuff here. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I think... also thought that this is one of the first races with an apostrophe in the, uh, the name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's any accent. If that's his contribution to the X-Men. Well, oh, no, the, the Xenox, the Xenox were, um, oh, that's uh, right. apostrophed first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, but though no, it's very, and I, I almost, it's like he really goes into putting these long names in here. Um, and then you know, uh, almost yeah, didn't put in my. Yeah. Yeah. Are we mispronouncing that? Is that a joke name? I don't, maybe. I don't, um, maybe I don't it's her, her Nath, Kim, Kim Tor. Um, that's the guy's name. The quote, the. Quilly. Um, every time he uh, writes it, he keeps he keeps writing his name over again. I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't I don't know if he's doing something if he's he's making a, a joke on that or not I don't know but uh yeah the the I think that we'll say the the prologue is is very different it's almost like it's from a different book because he's not having to uh well he is unleashed he can just do whatever he wants to do because it doesn't yeah, really... the tech is amazing yeah it is yeah the 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 spacesuits the the eagles the moon base uh everything is is kind of spot on he's not just kind of doing his interpretation of what the show he's copying the show so he's doing a great job of um, yeah of doing it and um, yeah, also like in the uh, the <clears throat> prologue, just the 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 use of the dual blues, just very simple coloring. It didn't need to be fully colored, you know, multiple colors or anything. Just this. Yeah, and I don't know if, if he was trying to make that look like it's black and white, or to give it the sense that it is something that happened in the past. Um, yeah, I no, do. No. I will say that, and it's not if it's his writing. All of the, not the di- not the dialogue bubbles, but the caption boxes, they capitalize the first letter of the sentence, and mm-hmm. that gets to be a little jarring. It's on every single text box. Um, it's a- yeah, it's a uh, it's a a writing thing. It's writing. called a drop a drop. Uh, capitalization and you see it in a lot of magazines where the first (laughs) word of the article is larger than the rest of the text and you can do that i think in uh, in design you can tell it to do that it'll it's a it'll do that um it's just it's just a characteristic right um well any uh any final uh in particular in the fantastic four as i recall when Stan Lee was writing caption boxes, the first word would be um, a script. It would be um, longhand written out, and then the rest of the, the caption box would be printed. Uh, it was very jarring. Mm. I don't know why they did it. Just a way to, I guess, to make it stand out. I don't know. It seemed like a lot more work. Yeah. Um, any oh. final... Uh... Final thoughts? What do you think, Kirk? I know you haven't read this thoroughly. Uh, you kind of skimmed it, but... Yeah, I skimmed along with you, and I agree. It just This one just feels better. Um, it showcases Byrne in all his aspects a little better. Um, I'm curious to know what the seventh issue would be, although it's, it's not him, it's not connected, there's no reason to pursue it. Uh, but I've enjoyed this one. Uh, you know, I, of all of them, I think this is the one... But I sit down and read and reread a couple more times because it just just feels uh, what's the word that I want feels more original instead of being a uh, a Star Trek uh, spinoff who mourns for Adonis or you know instead of being a pale imitation or doing another concept this is like an original concept that that Byrne has fully visualized and fully realized so i like this one yeah i liked I'll, it a lot uh, i think it was uh we'll give it six shattered eagles <laughs> well that's about how many we'd lost we've lost four or five um but maybe yeah. they could have salvaged part of this one you know i guess you could take the command module off the engines and just build a new infrastructure um i mean john, john had you, you i don't know if i asked you this had you read these before we started talking about them no i haven't um, um i didn't 
um, I I hadn't read them. I knew that I got them in a that stack of comics, but I hadn't actually pulled them out and read them yet. So I was glad that we had this opportunity. So uh, I dug into my box there and found them, amongst other things, such as <laughs> a couple issues of uh, $6 million man, Bionic Woman. Uh, I found some man from Atlantis issues in oh, that I've got stack. those. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, so that's cool. So, no, I hadn't read them before. I was glad to be able to read them. And uh, of the issues that we have read, the four burn issues from three to six, yeah, this last one I think is the best overall uh, story. Yeah, but all of them I enjoy. I had fun reading. Yeah, it's 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 fun to go back and see Burn before he's Burn. You know, to see before, before you know with the X Men exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, when, if if you're a new person, you're like, oh, you got to read John Byrne. You're going to go to X Men. You're going to go to FF. You know, but it's nice to see him. You know, stretching his legs and kind of finding out what he can do yep. and experimenting and seeing the, the artist that he's, he's going to be. Um, so yeah, it's always nice to kind of see this, this early stuff, but yeah. well, uh, so okay. before we do, I want to give a little um, shout out to uh, Nicola Cootie or cutie, however you say it. Um, just because, you know, I was looking her up or, uh, and, um, Mike's has her listed for 173 story credits since from 1969 to 1990 um, was the um, the career. And it included nothing with DC or Marvel that I can tell just by looking at the credit. Oh, yeah, she did some spider Spidey super stories. She did some Swamp uh, Thing, too. A couple okay, of issues of so, Swamp Thing. Yeah, so um, I passed away in 2020. Uh, oh, I, I'm um, I am sorry. I've been referring to as uh, her, apparently um, Nick. Uh, transgender to he. So um, yeah, uh, but anyway, a great thing. Work worked for uh, Charlton as the editor for four years before uh, uh, doing some writing and whatnot. So a lot of a lot of good stuff, a lot of work and a breadth of work. Vampirella, creepy. Uh, a lot of horror love, stuff. Yeah. Horror, horror, romance, sci-fi, uh, just really a lot of um, uh, a great variety and breadth of work uh, over all of that. Yeah, there you go. Swamp Thing. Uh, which was looks like it was a Phantom Stranger story, so that's interesting. Mm -hmm. She did um, a lot of yeah. E-Man, and I like E-Man, well, especially early E-Man. Co-creator e of E-Man, according yeah. to uh, Nick Wikipedia. Oh, there you go. With yeah, he was a co-creator of E-Man. So, yeah, yeah well, good stuff. Yeah, I uh, I also wanted to bring up, and I just, I just ran across this on Burn Robotics, that um, there is a uh, episode of, I think, there was a, when this book was out there was also a space 1999 magazine that i think burn did one story in but it was more the big deluxe magazine and there is some artwork in it by john burn the artist not the comic writer artist but the uh the actual i guess you call it classical artist he did some work on it and space 1999 the tv show one of the story editors 
there's a gentleman named Johnny Byrne who also wrote for Doctor Who. So at one point, all three there were three Burns that were working on Space 199 in some way. Interesting. Interesting. Yep. Uh, so I'm going to do a little correction here because um, I was just kind of scanning Wikipedia and um, uh, I don't know if we're just saying maybe the whole name wrong, um, but I don't think uh, he was. He w was <laughs> it's Nicola, Nicola, maybe Cootie or so um, not not female. <laughs> OK, I wondered. I'd always heard it was Nick Cootie. But I can't tell you where I learned that or why I've run into the name. Yeah, and I just we just assumed by the first name that it was female. So apologies for that, and to him. But uh, yeah, but still a wide breadth of work for him. A uh, lot of work, co-creator of a lot of work, or a lot of characters, and just and did films, novels, uh, Ray Bradbury Award winner, uh, Ink Pot Award winner. Nice. So. Um, uh, yeah. So. Uh, well, you think not, nothing against um, nothing against him, but uh, you think with this level of work that he would have kind of maybe he didn't want to. He would have graduated to the big two, but maybe he preferred with his lack with his um, uh, the amount of horror that's in his yeah. creepy and vampirella. And maybe that was just more his thing. And he preferred yeah, to do creepy, that. Yeah, eerie, vampirella. I mean, I mean, just working, uh, working so much on those. Yeah, you, you think that maybe you know that was just his jam, and you know Marvel and DC weren't really into it that much. Could be. Um, so you know, uh, and you know those those were those um, black and white magazines, so they weren't subject to comic codes. They're a little more adult, so right? You could be more adult, so I'm sure that maybe yeah. that was uh, more interesting to him than having to be subjected to. Um, now, although he did, um, he wrote a couple of flash stories, Captain Carrot. So um, we, a little bit here and there, uh, but mostly, uh, yeah, all the, that horror stuff. I'd be interested if there's someone who is terribly familiar with him or if there's a podcast or something that focuses on him. I'd be intrigued enough to listen to an episode if somebody wants to uh, put in the comments on the Facebook page a link to one. I'd be interested to know more about it. Yeah. If you know, there's there's got to be a probably a podcast that, that focuses on the creepy, the eerie, the the more horror-related magazines that are around then. Um, you know, or or even E-Man. Or E-Man, yeah. I, I've got a lot of yeah. early E-Man. I've got the first issue, and I've got some of the when they kind of revived it later because I like uh, Joe Stanton's artwork. It's kind of a, and it's a little tongue in cheek kind of, a little almost humorous kind of, uh, uh, book, but it was kind of a goofy kind of a um, character, but I liked it, and it was a, uh, you know, that's back from like '73, so yeah, cool. Well, good. Well, yeah. somebody left. If anybody knows, if you're listening to this and you know anything about um, his work, let us know. You know, uh, it's kind of a blind spot for us. So, you know, if you love him, you hate him, you know, let let us know what you think. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was just. Um, it's great to just kind of re reference the uh, other writers when we can, since we've lost them. Right. And. Uh, you know, well. Those, those right. We. 
it is because it is a collaboration. We focus, you know, we're focusing on Bird, and a lot of times we work right. with he's writer artist, but you know, he, you know, it, it, it's a team effort. So we have to, you know, we need to give these people credit, even though we're kind of focusing on his artwork. But yeah, it, it would be interesting to see some of the behind the scenes. You know, did did Nick say, oh, I kind of have this in mind, or was it just, here's the script, right. uh, do what you will, and then we'll put the words in later, or here's the script, draw and put in the words wherever, you know. Yeah, I don't know um, what they're... How, how yeah. involved was he with with the with the story once it was uh, turned over for art? Right. Was it the... And, and that's something that never gets uh, brought up, really, with... Um, like I said, I couldn't find anything about Byrne talking about Space 1999. Um, I remember when he was in Dallas years ago when Brian and I went and he had just released the, the big Star Trek, like Omnibus, or the stuff he did with um, uh, uh, Oh, help me out, guys. I'm blanking. Uh, was it Dynamite or Boom? Uh, boom. Was it? Who did Star Trek um, New Visions? That's not Boom. That's uh, one of my... I'm absolutely drawing a blank and I'm sure somebody's yelling at me in the, in the, in their uh, podcast right now. Anyway, he put out a big book of that. So he was in Dallas, he was doing signatures cause he was there with Shatner and he was at his table before that. And I, I went through and I was handing out stuff and I gave him a copy of my space 99 number three. And he really got a kind of a kick out of it, I guess, cause it was so old. He kind of showed his assistant, um, that, um, uh, you know, oh look, look at somebody's brought for me to sign. So I got to sign that. I thought that was kind of cool. But something well, that's not an X Men book. <laughs> I know. I, I think that's it. It's not. It's not X Men. It's not FF. It's not something that he's known for. So he gets to kind of see that kind of um, yeah. kind of older stuff. Well, I did uh, a quick check. It's IDW. IDW. That's, that's it. That's good. it. That I could not yeah. think of that. Okay. Thank you, John. All right. Uh, any final thoughts on any of these three issues, guys? I think we've gone. A little more than we probably wanted to, but I think this was a good conversation and good coverage. Yeah. Good stuff. It's good that we looked at them. And I'd encourage anybody who uh, who wants to see early burn and see how he evolved and where he came from. Absolutely worth taking a look at. Uh, It's fun. It's interesting. It's not a terribly well-known property, although it's well-known in sci-fi circles. And, uh, you know, look up, what is it, issues three through six. Yep. With six being the strongest that shows his abilities as a writer as well. And so I think you can I find think- them uh, all online for free. You can read them online. Um, yep. If you're, that's I think I, if, go ahead, Kurt. That, that's where I found them. Yeah. Um, it's just uh, freecomicsonline.net is where I found mine. Uh, and they came right up. Yeah. I know I have troubles on some of these online uh, repositories they have some issues and some uh, titles and some companies but not others and this one worked real well for me it was very easy to find yep. space colon um, 1999 and uh, this turned out to be volume two but that didn't make any difference yeah if uh, I think if you're a burn fan they're worth reading if you're a space 1999 fan they're worth reading uh, Space 1999 to plug Peacock. You can watch it, <clears throat> the episodes on Peacock, and I think Peacock's a free streaming service. Um, I'm going to put in two links because Andy Leyland on his Palace of Glittering Delight has done two wonderful shows on Space 1999 on specific episodes. I will link those because 
as always, Andy does a, a phenomenal show, and they're worth listening yeah. to if you're interested in Space 1999. He's the one recently. So I'll link those. And celebrate Breakaway Day. And uh, right. we'll try to get... We'll try to get the link to that final message from Moonbase Alpha <laughs> for you, Tim, to put in the links as well. Yeah, if you've got that, I will. Uh, I'll, I'll include that. But well, uh, okay. If you want to get hold of us, you can reach us at gotta get burned at gmail.com. Uh, let us know what we're you know if we missed something or if you want to add something, let us know. You can also reach out to us on Facebook. That's where you'll find the shows posted. Probably the easiest way to find them. Uh, and I want to thank. As always, John and Kirk, uh, my two gracious co-hosts who've come on and spent this Sunday morning recording with me. It's always a pleasure. Um, and if you've listened this long, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. See you guys. We cannot know if you will receive this message, or if memory survives or even exists in your time of who we were, what our purpose was, and the disaster that took us on our random journey through the infinite reaches of space and time. We calculate it is some 20 years since we lost contact with you. For us, this has been a time of dangers overcome, knowledge revealed, of mysteries encountered, perceptions altered, and a growing conviction of a higher purpose in everything that we have witnessed and endured. These long years have stretched to the limit our will to survive as individuals and as a community, and overcoming our greatest test, the struggle to hold true to our unique birthright, the humanity that is common to all of us from Earth. That is the past. For now, a new and even greater challenge awaits us. For some time now, our life support systems have shown increasing decay. Total failure, though not imminent, seems inevitable. Last week, however, we encountered an intense gravitational disturbance which has catapulted our moon into this totally unknown solar system. Sensors indicate one planet is habitable, but it will only be in range for six short days. Insufficient time to calculate the long-term risks of leaving the base and settling there. So the painful collective decision was taken to abandon Alpha. One that was greatly disputed. As I speak now, Operation Exodus has taken place. Commander Koenig and the others have begun to settle on our new world. Alpha. The final eagle waits for me, for I am the last person to abandon the base. Soon the planet will be out of range, and though predictions indicate a slingshot effect will return the moon to the planet in 25 years, we cannot be certain, nor can we base our actions on it occurring. However, one thing is certain. Moonbase Alpha is no more. For many of us, it was our most difficult decision. Though deserted and silent now, Alpha was our refuge. We can never forget our life here. The good and happy times, as well as our moments of despair and heartbreak. 
Here, friendships flourished. Bonds were forged. It was Maya the Psychon who helped us to understand that we are all aliens until we get to know each other. The memory of what we shared here will forever remain part of the very fabric of this place. Our home, Alpha. I am making this transmission firstly to those of you who knew of our existence and wondered what became of us and to enlighten those on an earth who may have never known us. People of the same world who are strangers yet familiar to us through the mysterious effects of time and space. And finally, we want you all to know that we, the people of Moonbase Alpha, did exist. Our presence, the knowledge of Earth and her people, their strengths and weaknesses, pride and arrogance, genius and insignificance, has an imprint on this vast universe that we share with so many races and beings. And to state our belief that although our moon's progress was random, our odyssey does have a purpose. One still in the act of revealing itself. It is time for me to end this brief message and to face the uncertain life and great challenges on our new world. Computer's final task will be to encode this message using a device Maya designed. She believes that it will enable this transmission to navigate the complexities of time and space and reach you on Earth. To Professor Bergman, Michael, dear Paul, Luke and Anna on your new Arcadia, we will never forget you. And to Alpha, wherever you go on your onward journey, our hearts will go with you. And hope for reunion in the future will not fade. And finally, to you, the people of planet Earth, we say goodbye. And ask but one thing. Remember us. Remember us. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. 
Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.